uh, now we're going to be in, chap- in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26 today. It's on page 861 in the Bibles in the chairs. If you want to follow along on the Version Live event, you're welcome to go out and find me on Facebook or Twitter. Twitter. There's a link there. Uh, or you could just go to Version and open it up if you have that app on your smart device. So um, anyway, just so that you can follow along. So in this process, in this passage, we've really come to a place a couple of weeks ago We came to this point where Jesus had called people to follow him, his first disciples to follow him. And and from that point, we begin to see these people actually kind of walking behind Christ and and walking and living and doing life with Christ. And they begin to experience him and see and learn from him. It's important that we recognize this because the reality is, is that as Luke shares these stories, as Luke does this, uh, gives us his account of Jesus's life, we get to be like these followers. We get, to, we get to walk behind Jesus. We get to witness his, his uh, miracles. For example, we were there, essentially we were there by, by the telling of, of the truth by Luke. We were there when Jesus uh, made the miraculous catch of fish. We were there when Jesus healed a leper. It's important that we recognize that, that we are, are, are his followers are, are able to walk along with him and learn from him. Because it's not just about what he teaches us in his words. I mean, it's kind of like we're kids. It's kind of like we're kids to our parents. And, I mean, the thing is, is that we learn from our parents in the instruction they give us. Like, they say, don't do that. And we learn not to do that, right? I mean, well, why? Well, because I told you so. We, we learn, okay, well, then I don't do that because you told me so. But maybe even more than learning by the things that they say, we learn by the things that they do. In the way that they act in the world, the circumstances that they face, the way that they interact with us and with others. We learn from our parents and in, in how they act, how they interact, and, and how they react when they're faced with difficulties and, and opposition. I mean, you've always, you've always heard it. None of us believe it until it actually happens. At some point, you're going to say the things that your mom said, or you're going to act like your dad did. Maybe that's not exactly what we want, but it happens. Because we learn from them. And that's, that's, that's so important for us because here we have this opportunity to walk behind Jesus, to sit with Jesus, and to hear Jesus teach just like his followers did. Because as he does these miracles, as he performs these works, as he exercises his power and authority, he's not just working miracles for the sake of working miracles. He's, he's teaching us through parables, parables that are, that are active. And this week, as we, as we continue following him, as we walk behind him, we, we'll find ourselves in Capernaum. We'll find ourselves surrounded by teachers of the law, by Pharisees and scribes who are seeking to know whether to believe in him or not. And we'll see him heal a man that was paralyzed. And we'll see him tell that same man that his sins are forgiven. And, and, and we, we will get to... To, to, get, to gain a greater glimpse, a greater understanding of his message. We'll be able to, to more firmly understand his mission, what he came to do, and, and we'll be given an opportunity to grow in our faith and trust in the man. This man who wasn't just a man, but who is God. So let's read, and, and I think you'll see this unfold as we go through the text. Beginning in verse 17, it says... On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from 
from Jerusalem, and, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So here's Jesus, and you need to, well, let's just grab the context, let's have it in our mind. Jesus' notoriety, his popularity has been growing like crazy. If you remember last week when we studied him uh, healing the leper, he told the leper, don't go and tell anyone. Well, Mark tells us in his account of that story that that leper didn't listen to Jesus and went and told everybody he saw. And then he also went to the priests. And, 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 and Luke tells us that, the, that Jesus was becoming more and more known, that word was spreading about him. So much so that here he is in Galilee. It's the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. It's the, it's the northern region. And word is spreading all across the, the, the kingdom. And it's all the way down into the southern kingdom of Judea. So, so people are hearing about him. The word is spreading uh, about him. So much so that the religious leaders, the, the, the scribes, the doctors of the law, if you will, the people with all the credentials and all the letters behind their name, they came and began to check Jesus out. Now here's, here's the thing. I think... At least at the beginning, I, th- I think that the reality is that, th- that they were doing what they were supposed to do. I-, I mean, we can be pretty sure of this. We can be pretty sure that, that they weren't coming to Jesus to hear, uh, uh, to watch him heal. They-, they weren't bringing sick people to Jesus to be healed. They weren't lining up hoping to get touched by Jesus and, and-, and be able to take some power from Jesus. They were coming to hear him teach, and they were coming to test his message and and. and- Understand who he was as a man. And in fact, Mark tells us in his account of this story that Jesus, they were, they were gathered like it was this big conference. Like, I, I, I don't know how it happened. I'm, I'm sure that there was a plan made. I, I'm doubting they called Jesus up and said, hey, would you be our keynote speaker? We're going to come on this day and would you, would you give us a conference? But somehow they, they had planned together to show up at, at this place. They'd heard he is back in Capernaum. He sh- they show up at this place on this day, and they begin to kind of poke and prod at Jesus and, and listen to Jesus. Mark tells us that he was teaching them, preaching the word to them. And here they are. And this is what they're interested in. And again, I, I think we have to be careful. I think they were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They were ensuring, they were seeking to protect the people of Israel against a false teacher. Jesus wasn't the first man that came into Israel saying that he was the Messiah. He wasn't the first, nor was he going to be the last. They were responsible to make sure to protect the people against false teaching. That that ideal, that, that responsibility falls to those who were doctors of the law, the ones who were studying the law, who were the experts in the law. And it continues today. One of the chief responsibilities of the pastors of this church and every church is to protect the people of the church against false teachers. We're supposed to listen to and hear from people who, who are influential and, and who are out there claiming to be representatives of God. We're supposed to listen to them. And, and when they're false, we call them out. That's a responsibility. It's a, a way that we serve God in protecting his people. It's shown over and over in the New Testament. So I, I think we have to be careful just to automatically move to a place where we give these guys a bad, a bad rap. There's certainly seeking to do the thing they've been called to do. But here's, here's the issue. Is that it's a lot of hearsay right now. I mean, can you imagine the rumors that were spreading about Jesus, the, the, the number of things that were being said about him, uh, uh, unbelievable things. Like, this is a guy who's changed water to wine. H- how many times have you seen that happen? None. You, you get that water doesn't just become wine. I mean, it has to 
chemically, it has to change. This is a man who, who heals the blind, who, who, uh, who makes them see, who cleanses lepers, who, who touches them and doesn't become dirty himself, doesn't become... This is a man who, who says, I have the authority, I have the power, and I will make you clean. This is a man who claims this kind of authority. Who have you ever known? Who have you ever known that could exercise power and authority like this? But there's only one way for them to know. So through the, through the grapevine or through their means of communication, they gather together, they, they pick a day, and they show up in Capernaum at, at the house that Jesus is staying at. Everybody believes it was probably Simon Peter's house. We, we don't exactly know, but, but that's where we assume he was at. They show up at this house, and they are from all over the region. And it's kind of hyperbole that that Luke is saying they come from every village. I think that's maybe just hyperbole, but the reality is that they were coming from all across the kingdom, and they show up in Capernaum, and they want to hear Jesus speak, and they want to hear what he's teaching, and they are testing him. That's the context. That's that's the situation that we find ourselves in. Keep going in verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And so here's this thing. Here's, so, so these Pharisees, these scribes, they weren't the only people that wanted to see Jesus. Like, remember, I mean, Jesus has been doing miraculous things all across the region. In fact, there was a point where it says that in Capernaum he had healed everyone, that everyone who came to him and was brought to him, that he healed them of their sickness and he cast demons out. And so, so at this point in, in Capernaum, it's, it's even surprising that you find a guy who's still paralyzed. But this man and, and his four friends, they want to see Jesus maybe more than these Pharisees and scribes want to see him. And they show up at the house, and this is what they see. They see people overflowing out of the door. They're probably gathered all around the courtyard. If there's windows on the side of the house, I don't know exactly what the house looked like, but if there's windows on the side, you can be certain that they're peeking into the window, listening in on what's happening. There is no way that these men are getting in. And they're faced with a decision. What you might call a, a crisis of faith. I realize that they weren't faced with some catastrophic event, some, some huge, huge decision. But this is a watershed moment for them and that paralyzed man. I mean, they had a plan. They started out that morning. They had a plan. They, they, they had a plan, and they were, they were living out their faith. They knew that oh, if we just get this man to Jesus, if we can bring him to Jesus, we'll only have to carry him one way. But when they get to this house, there's no way to get to Jesus. So what do they really believe? They're faced with a decision. The thing is, is that a crisis of faith isn't necessarily some big catastrophic problem that we face. Really, I would just define it this way. A crisis of faith is just a set of circumstances that reveals what you really believe in or trust. What did these men really believe? 
Did they really believe that they had to get this guy to Jesus? Did they really believe that when they got, G- got this guy to Jesus that he was going to be healed? Did they really believe that Jesus had power and authority to make this man walk? What did they believe? In the Bible study, Experiencing God, if you've never done that study, I would commend it to you. I don't, I don't agree with all of his applications, but I, I, it, it's, a, it's a great study and it's a challenging study. But Henry Blackaby, who wrote it, says this, A crisis of belief, or a crisis of faith as we're saying it, is not a calamity in your life, but a turning point where you must make a decision. You must decide what you truly believe about God. Did these men really believe that Jesus is able to heal his friend? Did they really believe that if they can get to Jesus that this is just a one-way trip for carrying this guy? Do they really believe that Jesus has that power and authority? And what they believe about Jesus in this moment is going to determine the outcome or what happens next. The fact is, the reality is, this isn't the first time we've come across a crisis of faith in Luke's gospel. The, the leper from last week's study faced a crisis of faith. I mean, he was unclean. He wasn't allowed in the city. He wasn't allowed near people. He was supposed to be all alone. He was, he was unclean, and if he touched anybody, they were unclean. He was supposed to stay by himself, but yet we see him faced with this dilemma, with this decision. Jesus is in the city. He's as close as he's ever going to be. If I can get to Jesus, I can just ask to be made clean. So... so What does he really believe about Jesus? What does he really believe about getting to Jesus? Peter, James, John, and Andrew, as as they're fishing, and they catch this miraculous catch of fish that's about to sink two boats. What do they believe about Jesus when he says to them, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Are are, are they going to believe in Jesus? Are they going to trust Jesus? And are they going to go with him? Are they going to cash in on the biggest catch of their life? It's a crisis of faith. It's a decision to be made. Are we going to believe and follow? Or are we going to reject and stay? When Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, after preaching the gospel and confronting his hometown crowd with the fact that they were the spiritually poor, they were the spiritually oppressed, that they were the spiritually blind, he confronts them with that truth and they reject him and they try to kill him. They were faced with a crisis of faith. Would they believe Jesus or reject Jesus? This crisis of faith doesn't just happen in the Scripture. We face these crises of faith probably way more often than we realize. Are we going to live obediently as a result of our faith? Or are we going to live according to our own ethic? You know, even before we, even before we come to faith, even before we've trusted Christ at all, we, we hear the gospel. And, and, and we come to a crisis of faith. Will we believe the truth about Jesus or will we reject him and try to make our own way? 
I mean, we're going this week to Africa. I leave Friday morning with this team, and we're going to go, and we're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to have opportunity to, to tell people of the hope that they have through Jesus Christ. But we're not just doing them. We're doing them a great favor, but we're presenting them with a great problem. We're putting them in a place in which they are going to be faced with a crisis in faith. Will they stick to what they've always been taught? Or will they hear the truth and believe in Jesus? Will they live obediently? Will you and I live obediently as a result of that faith? Are we going to be striving to be husbands and and wives and parents according to the way God instructs? Or are we going to listen to the wisdom of the world? Are we going to work as employees as unto God as we are, uh, as we are serving in our, in our places of work, as we are going into the work, into the, to the, to the world? Are we going to serve as unto God? Or are we going to strive to advance our own agenda? Are we going to tell others about Jesus? I mean, he's commanded us to. Do we really believe that he's able to save? Are we gonna are, are we gonna bring others to Jesus? Like these four men who loved this man so much and they believe that Jesus was the answer? Or are we gonna bring people to Jesus? Or are we gonna be like these religious guys and get in the way? Or maybe just keep our faith to ourselves. Not let anybody know what we think about Jesus. The fact of the matter is, even this morning, even this morning when you woke up an hour short on sleep, unless you were smart enough to plan ahead and went to bed early, I don't know if that works for anybody else. It doesn't for me. Even this morning when the alarm goes off, you're faced with a crisis of faith. Is coming to be among God's people and hear the word of God taught. Beneficial. Is it worthwhile? Is it is it our opportunity to get closer to God? Is there a reason to be here? Well, we know your answer. Because <laughs> you're here. But this is just one of many crises we face on a daily basis. It's in the crisis of faith that the object of our faith is proven. It's in the crisis of faith that our object, the object of our faith is proven. In whom or what are you believing? What, what is it that you believe in? In whom or, or what are you trusting? Where is your faith lying? Where is it placed? We can reject him and our, our, weak, our faith can be weak. Or maybe even proven to be false. Or we can trust him. And in trusting him, live in obedience to him, standing up and walking behind him and following him and getting to know more about his message. Getting to understand his mission more clearly and learning to believe in the man who is God more fully. These are important. And he brings them to us so that in them we are brought closer to him. These are vital for our faith. What are we going to do?
I hope we'll follow the example of these four men and this paralyzed man who knew they had to get to Jesus. And they were so desperate, they came up with a crazy plan. I don't know where it enters the conversation. Hey, let's go through the roof. You realize there's other options, right? I mean, let's just hang out. They're not going to be here forever. We could hang out here on the corner and wait for them to disperse, and then we'll get in and see Jesus. There's other ways they could have potentially gone, but they were so desperate. They so longed to get their friend to Jesus. They so fully believed in the, the need to be before him. They climbed up on somebody else's house and dug a hole in somebody else's roof so that their friend could be made well. They believe in this. They're trusting in this. They're, they're, they're all in on this. And there's no telling what it sounds like from inside. I mean, it's hard to imagine that it wasn't noticeable or distracting at all. But in some way, you know, these people, they're in there listening to Jesus and they're hearing from Jesus. And outside there's people digging a hole through the roof, removing the top of the roof, and they're opening up a hole. And we don't know that they even notice until this man is lowered down and the focal point turns from Jesus and his teaching to the man hanging through the roof. But Jesus doesn't let the attention stay on this man for too long because it's not about this man. It's about what he's about to do. So let's pick it up in verse 20. He goes on. It goes on. It says, and when he saw their faith. So, so they've lowered the man down through the mat, through the roof, on this mat. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? And I just want to point this out. To this point, we don't have any, we, we don't have any uh, reason to think that they're in disagreement with the things that Jesus is teaching. We don't have any reason to believe that, 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 they are, that, they are, uh, that he's not a, a, a good teacher. They've not been complaining. They've not been questioning. But in this moment, at these words, they begin to question, <clears throat> who is this that speaks Blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This powerful expression of power and authority blew them all away. They were shocked and surprised by it. But here's the thing is that these guys, they begin to question. They're, they're, they're stuck at this point. Who is this? Who, who's, who's making these claims? Who can do this but God? And the thing is, they're right. Their theology, their doctrine is right. No one can, uh, no one can forgive sins but God. No one can offer relief from our offense against Him but God alone. 
Even today, as we go to people and talk to them about forgiveness of sins, we're not doing it of our own authority. We're doing it in the authority that's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. He died in our place for our sins. It's in Him that we find hope. It's in His victorious resurrection that we're given life. We cannot make another path. We cannot undermine Jesus' teaching. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We can't make another way. We can't determine that there's a better path or another path. It's only through Jesus. And so these guys were right, but at the same time they're right about their doctrine, they're wrong about the identity of Jesus. They've missed it. And what Jesus has done by saying, your sins are forgiven, is claimed to be God. Because only God can forgive sins. Only God has that authority. And so he didn't say the words, I'm God. But in doing this, he makes the claim that he's God. In doing this, it's not just that he's making a claim that he's God. It's, it's, hey, I've come not just to take care of your physical issues, but your spiritual ones as well. His work is to overcome all the consequences of the curse of sin, not just some of them. And so he says these things, and I think it's for this very purpose to make them question. You see, he puts these Pharisees and these scribes in a crisis of faith. Would would they believe him? Would they see the power and authority of God being exercised and trust him? Or would they continue to accuse him? What are we going to believe about Jesus? What are we going to do about what we believe about Jesus? So he tests them. He says, which is easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? I mean, what's easier to say? Well, it takes the same amount of energy. I mean, maybe not the same amount of syllables, but it's easy to say either, right? But, but one requires verifiable proof. I mean, he could say your sins are forgiven, and okay, well, nobody knows. But if he's going to say get up and walk, there must be verifiable truth if, or, or proof. I mean, if he's going to say that and he's going to exercise power and authority to say that, then that man's got to get up and walk. So which is really easier to say? Both, truly, Jesus is completely capable of and Jesus has authority to offer. In fact, it shows us in the scripture, so you know that I have authority to forgive sins here on earth. You, get up and walk. The, the, the act, the, the, the power and the authority that was used to, to make this man walk is the same power and authority that he uses to forgive sins. It's, it's one and the same. You see, here's the reality. Your, your sins are, are your, God's not standing up in heaven and looking at your sin and saying, boom, I'm going to give you this affliction. It's not like he's playing tit for tat like that. It's not like, not, not like he's trying to keep score. And, and every time you make some little mistake or fail in some way, he's going to get you. You know, like, oh, you didn't, you said this little white lie, your car's going to break down tomorrow. That, that's not what he does. We don't have any indication that this man has committed some sin that led to this paralysis. 
But what we know is that all sin and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, all suffering and all difficulty and all oppression and all blindness and all poverty and everything that comes is a result of the curse of sin that's been on us since Adam and Eve first rebelled and were thrown out of the garden. Everything that's difficult and happens in this world that's hard to deal with is a result of sin in some way, whether direct or indirect. And Jesus, it it takes the same power and authority to overcome both. And Jesus says, I have that power and authority. And let me show you I have that power and authority. And so he looks at this man who who was lowered in on a mat. And he says, get up and walk and take that mat with you. The mat that carried you in, you carry it out. You see, that's the idea. Jesus is is, is putting these people in a place where, where they have no option but to determine what they believe about him. What are we going to believe about Jesus? Well, these men, ultimately faced with this awe-inspiring work and faced with a dilemma, would they believe Jesus or would they accuse Jesus? If they would believe Jesus, the crisis of faith that they, that they stepped through would ultimately unveil beautiful truths about the God who put on flesh to dwell among us to provide us salvation. But if they would reject Jesus, the law that they were trying to follow would ultimately condemn them. Listen. Here's what they could learn. Here's what we can learn from what Jesus is doing. Jesus is God in whom our faith finds our greatest hopes fulfilled. These men brought their friend to be healed. They, little did they know that, that, that Jesus was going to extend so much more. Little did they know all that Jesus had to offer. But it was in the expression of their faith, in the following of their faith, in the, in the, in the obedience that came out of their faith and coming to Jesus that they found that Jesus was able to do even more than they imagined. We hope for all kinds of things. We hope all kinds of things happen in this life. But it's only when we place our faith in Jesus Christ that those hope become more than just a wishful thought, but rather a confident expectation of the days to come. It's in faith in Christ that we can know that God works all things to the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Not just the good things work to your good, but He uses all things to your good. It's in faith in Christ that we find the Word tells us that in, in Him we are given everything we need for life and godliness. It's in our faith in Christ that we find that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. But it's only in Christ. Those hopes become so much more than a wishful thought. But confident expectation of the days to come. See, Jesus is God in whom our faith finds our greatest hopes fulfilled. Jesus is God in whom our faith finds the grace of forgiveness. Don't you want to be forgiven? Don't you know you need to be forgiven? You don't just need forgiveness of others. You need forgiveness from God. 
It's only in Christ that we find that. It's only in Christ that we're able to receive that by his good grace, his unmerited. You will never earn it nor deserve it. His unobligated. He didn't have to do it good on your behalf to say to you, to look at you, a sinner, and say you are forgiven. That comes by grace through faith. Trusting Christ for this forgiveness of sins. Jesus is God in whom our faith finds power to endure. This man was healed. He'd been laid out on this mat. Who knows how long? Jesus says, get up and walk. And when in doing that, he didn't just fix the problem that was in this man's body that caused the paralysis. I mean, he did that, but he did more. <clears throat> if he's laid there for, for a year, is he even going to be able to balance himself? If he's laid there 10 years, is he even going to be able to stand up? Stand up and walk and without stumbling, without, without tripping over his own feet. The strength of his legs is able to bear his body. And not just his body, but the mat that had borne him. He bears it and now he carries it out glorifying God. The same way, he gives us strength to endure, to get up and walk, to walk, as as Paul would say, in a manner worthy of him. I'm I'm so so tired of of this saying. I see it posted on people's Facebook, and if you've posted it, I don't mean to be offensive to you, but quit posting it. God will give you more than you can handle. If you believe that God won't give you more than you can handle, then you're misunderstanding God and the crisis of faith that He puts us all in. God will give you more than you can handle. But in trusting in Christ, He will give you the power to handle it. The power comes from Him. The strength to walk came from Him. The ability to balance on two feet that hadn't held a body in who knows how long came from him. The, the, the point is not to, for us to sit and figure out how to have strong faith. The point is for us to figure out how to place our weak faith in a strong God. You see, that's the distinction. I'm not calling you to have your faith all figured out and not, not, not experience doubt in the midst of your faith. I'm just simply saying, place the weakest, littlest, bittiest amount of faith in Christ and you will find the strong God giving you power to endure and to make it. It's in Him that it happens. Our challenge, our call from Christ is not to be strong on our own. But to be strong, be, be made strong in Him. See, Jesus is God in whom our faith finds power to endure. Jesus is God in whom our faith finds one worthy of worship. I mean, this man got up and he walked out. Can you imagine the excitement that was bubbling up out of him? When's the last time you felt that, that you sensed it, that you were that excited about what God was doing in your life? I know every one of us, I, I, I've experienced this myself recently, times of dryness, and, and I'm thankful that I'm expending, I, I am experiencing closeness to God these days as in my time with Him. I feel Him closer. And brothers and sisters, if, 
And if we're not able to walk in the same way, glorifying God with our, with our thoughts and our hearts and our minds, it's because we've forgotten what we believe about who we were and who God's made us. We were dead in our trespasses, following the course of the prince of the power of the air, the course of the world, and, and bound up in the desires of our flesh. We were dead. But God, in His mercy, made us alive. And in some point in your life, when you stepped in with your weak and feeble faith, He said, live. And you're alive because of His power. You're able to walk because of His power. You're able to worship because of His power. There's no greater reason, no greater purpose, no greater, th- uh, 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 re- no greater thing to give ourselves to than God's glory. This is it. You're alive in Him. Not because you had strong faith, but because you placed weak faith in a strong God. This is it. And surely some of them went away that day rejecting Jesus. And in a moment they caught a glimpse of a reason to be in awe of Him, but they went away rejecting because they couldn't stand the idea that He was God. Let me just ask you today, what what are you doing in light of Jesus and His power and authority? His power and authority to make a man walk and to forgive our sins. Let us put ourselves in the same crisis of faith that these Pharisees and scribes found themselves in, that these five men, this paralyzed man and these four friends found themselves in. Because it's in the crisis of faith that the object of our faith is proven. In whom or what are you believing? Jesus is always proven trustworthy. You can believe Him. You can put all your eggs in His basket. In fact, let me just close with a an illustration. I used to use it to describe faith, but I think it's a perfect illustration to, to, to help us face this crisis of faith that I think we should all find ourselves in in this moment. And I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to place yourself in, 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 a, in a giant water, by, by a giant waterfall. Maybe you've heard this illustration. You'll already know. Just play along. Act like you don't. Make me feel good. Close your eyes and, and just picture yourself by, by, by the Niagara Falls. And as you're standing there, you see a man stretch a tightrope from, from one side to the other. And, and, and as this is happening, people are gathering around and getting excited. You're there with them. You're getting excited. You're going to see this man perform this death-defying stunt. You feel the, feel the mist on your face. You smell the water flowing by. You see this man climb up on the tightrope and he and he picks up a wheelbarrow alongside of him and he puts it on the, on the tightrope in front of him and he begins to push it across. He gets to the other side, he gets to Canada and he turns around and he comes back and he says, hey, hey, do you believe I can push this wheelbarrow to the other side? And you're like, well, yeah, we, we just saw you do it. We believe you can do it. Do you really believe I can? Yeah, I believe you can do it. He pushes the wheelbarrow across and he comes back again. And he comes and he says, do you really believe that I can push this wheelbarrow to the other side and back again. 
And, and, and by this point, you guys are all cheering. The, the crowd is cheering. Yes, we, 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 we believe you can do it. We, we trust that you can do it. We believe you can do it. And he looks into the crowd and he points right at you and he says, get in the wheelbarrow. That's your crisis of faith. Can you get in the wheelbarrow? Do you believe that Jesus is able to carry you across? Do you believe that his plan for your life is enough? Do you believe that he is the only one who can forgive your sin and heal your flesh? What does the crisis of faith prove to you about what you believe? Father, show us. Show us what it is that we're trusting in. Show us where our hopes lie. Show us how we might be rejecting Jesus or believing in it more than Jesus. Father, in in this moment, I do pray, Spirit, that you would that you would challenge our hearts. Help us to get up into the wheelbarrow of salvation, the cross of Christ, the, the resurrection, the hope we have for our future, that, that we would know it fulfilled. Help us to believe so fully in his work and in his ability that we'd be able to lean on its power and on its strength instead of our own. Help us to believe so fully and completely, Father, that we understand more of your holiness and, and more of our sinfulness that we might press more deeply into the cross of Christ to find our forgiveness. And we may, may, may we be faced, Father, with this crisis and, and out of it be be smack dab in front of you, sitting in your presence, just like these people that day. That we might worship you, that we might find awe and adoration and praises just bubbling up out of us because you alone are worthy. Father, work in us now. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.